Welcome to the Push Dose Medic Podcast. 912 Ambulance, 75-year-old male, back pain, 211 Silver Hollow Road. We focus on core concepts for the beginner paramedic. 0933-5632. Here's your host, Jaron Jarrell. Welcome back, guys, to the Push Dose Medic Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about aortic dissections. Now, if you follow the Push Dose Medic Instagram, you know, earlier on this week, we posted a little teaser about aortic dissections. This was a listener-requested topic, so let's get into it. To start out, let's go over a little scenario. So you're dispatched to a 67-year-old male chief complaint of chest pain. When you arrive on scene, you see a pale, diaphoretic, lethargic man standing there. He states he has a sudden onset of chest pain, and his past medical history includes some uncontrolled hypertension, diabetes, and he smokes at least two packs a day. As you're doing your assessment, he states that he's having this ripping, tearing pain in his chest and radiating down his back. So what's the first thing you're thinking when you see this patient? Well, commonly, we would love to rule out the myocardial infarction. We'll pop a 12 lead and see what that says. Now, we may see some elevation there, we may not. All depends on the dissection. But the key words we want to listen to here is that ripping and tearing. These are words that are going to clue you in that this might just be something more than a heart attack. It may be a dissection. So we know that the aortic dissection is a pretty serious cardiac issue that can lead to hemorrhagic shock and death. And it can also mimic a lot of other issues. But what exactly is it? So we know that the aorta is a large arterial structure that goes from the heart all the way down to the pelvis. And since the aorta is a large structure, it's broken down into multiple sections. These sections start at the top of the heart coming out of the aortic valve. From there, we have the ascending aorta. Now, it's worth noting at the very proximal end of the ascending aorta is actually where your RCA starts to branch off. And we'll get to why that's important a little later on. Now, next after your ascending aorta is you have the arch. And the arch just curls around the top of the heart and begins to form the descending aorta. Now, within the arch, we have three very important arteries. From left to right, you have the brachiocephalic, your common carotids, and your left subclavian. Now, from the arch, we have what's called the descending aorta, and it's split up into two sections divided by the diaphragm. But above the diaphragm, we have the thoracic aorta, and then below, we have the abdominal aorta. Now, like the arch, the abdominal aorta houses a bunch of main arteries as well, including your renal arteries, your mesenteric, which fuel the gut, all the way down to your common iliacs. As you can see, there's a lot of important stuff branching off of the aorta, and we don't need any kind of complications, malperfusion, or occlusions anywhere down the aorta. Now, a dissection happens when there's a separation between the layers of the aortic wall, and it's important to understand that you have three different layers in this vessel. These three layers are called the tunicas. Now, the outer layer is called the tunica adventitia or the tunica externa. Your middle layer, which is the thick muscle layer, is called the tunica media. And the thinnest internal layer is called the tunica intima. Now, the separation usually occurs between the intima and the media, forming what is called the intimal flap. Due to the native high pressures that are coming out of the heart, there's constant stress on the aorta, and eventually, and sometimes pathologically, the walls break down and form an injury within that vessel wall. This is how a dissection starts. Now, the most common dissections happen within the first 10 centimeters of that aortic valve, where the ascending aorta sits. Another common location is actually at the top of the arch, at the location of the left subclavian artery. Now remember where the left subclavian's at, because that's going to be a reference point when we talk about classifications. 
Now, like I said, the initial formation of a dissection is that small injury and tear that happens with the tunica intima, which allows blood to enter the space in between the layers. And now with each heartbeat, the blood enters that space and slowly tears at that connective tissue until it becomes a giant false lumen. Now, there's lots of different causes for an aortic dissection, but the number one is hypertension, uncontrolled and chronic hypertension. And this is just due to the constant changes and increased pressure of the vessel walls. About 67% of all dissections occur in patients with uncontrolled and chronic hypertension. Other diseases we need to keep in the back of our head are connective tissue diseases like Marfan's or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. These diseases weaken the vessel walls, so you have a higher chance of creating that injury in the intima and leading to a dissection. Pre-existing aneurysms are always a concern. When you have that weakening in the sidewall, you always want to keep traumatic injuries in your mind like severe car wrecks. And finally, gender and age. So the most common dissections actually happen in males between the ages of 50 and 70. And these are all things you just want to keep in the back of your head when you're having somebody that's complaining of chest pain. So if you have somebody with Marfan syndrome that's 55 years old and a male, this might be someone you want to take a little more seriously when they say they're having extreme chest pain that's radiating to their back. Now, when we're talking about dissections, there's two different ways to classify them. A lot of people know the DeBakey way. I find the Stanford classification much easier. We will breeze over the DeBakey classification just for reference, but for now on, we're going to talk about the Stanford classification because it just makes a little more sense to me. So the DeBakey classification is three different types. So type one is pretty easy. It's going to involve the ascending and the descending aorta. So pretty much the whole thing. Type 2 only involves the ascending aorta, and type 3 involves the descending aorta at the origin of the left subclavian artery, so anything from that last artery all the way down to the pelvis, anywhere in there. Now, the Stanford classification, I feel like, is a little bit easier since there's only two, and you basically use that left subclavian as a reference point. So in the Stanford classification, you have classification A and classification B. So type A is going to be anything in the ascending aorta all the way up to the left subclavian. So it can be ascending, ascending arch, and then sometimes it can be ascending arch or descending. Just remember if the origin is left of the left subclavian or proximal, it's a type A. Now the type B is the exact opposite. It starts anything distal of the left subclavian. So initially that might sound confusing, but if the origin is proximal, to that left subclavian, it's going to be type A. Distal, it's going to be type B. E. And pictures will be in the notes, and the picture was actually on the Instagram post if you want to go back and reference it, just to make sure you have this clear. Now, when we're talking about signs and symptoms for a dissection, they're going to be very similar to that crushing chest pain patient with a few differences. So this patient might present with severe chest pain. Uh, remember, it's probably going to be radiating somewhere. Most likely the back could be abdominal pain depending on where the dissection is. Diaphoresis, nausea, vomiting, shortness of breath, hypotension, tachycardia, or urine output depending where the dissection is. Altered mental status and generalized weakness. Just remember your key differences are going to know when that patient says something like severe, ripping, tearing, radiating towards the back or radiating towards the abdominal area. It all depends on where this dissection is. Now, a common sign we might find is coming across blood pressures and pulse differentials. So I think this is something we do inherently, but we don't really sometimes know why. 
So these findings will not always be evident when someone has a dissection, and it's actually only found in about 20% of patients. So if someone has an abdominal or a thoracic dissection, you won't exactly see these differences because of the location of the dissection. But if someone's having a dissection that's involving the brachiocephalic, left subclavian, you may see a pulse or blood pressure difference just because you're occluding the blood flow to one vessel and not the other. Now this all depends on where that intimal flap is and where that false lumen is covering. So if we're covering up the brachiocephalic, which feeds the right arm, we may have a pressure that's different in the right arm than the left arm. So while we're talking about signs and symptoms, there's two things I want to bring up with dissections that can actually mimic other issues. So we know that the RCA feeds off of the very proximal end of the ascending aorta. If we have any kind of occlusion in that area or the intimal flap is affecting the RCA blood flow, we can actually cut off the RCA, mimic an inferior infarction, and we'll be kind of tunneled vision on that infarction and not the actual problem is that they're dissecting. We also want to think about any kind of uh, focal neurodeficits. So if a patient has syncopal episode or sudden altered mental status or stroke-like symptoms, we have to think about the dissecting that's interrupting the blood flow and nerve pathways to the brain, and sometimes through the lower part of the body. So as this dissection gets larger, the false lumen fills with more blood. We have compression in areas that aren't normally compressed. So you may have an occlusion in an artery or that false lumen pushing on a nerve pathway, creating some kind of neurodeficit. These are what we call painless dissections, and these are very dangerous because they present pain-free and they can mimic a true neurological or other cardiac issue when we know the underlying issue is going to be the life-threatening dissection. So now we have a suspicion that we have a dissection. How do we exactly diagnose it? So this isn't as simple as looking at an EKG and finding some kind of elevation, even though you may see that, depending on the dissection. But initially, we want to get a good history and see if they qualify, see if they have the common factors like uncontrolled hypertension or an existing aneurysm to clue us in. Now, the ER will actually commonly use what's called an aortic dissection detection score, where points are given based on pre-existing conditions, the quality of their pain, and any exam findings. I'll post a picture of that in the show notes because it's kind of interesting just to know. Now, a quick and easy way to kind of diagnose an aneurysm but does not exclude is a simple chest x-ray. Now, what you'll find on that chest x-ray is a widened mediastinum representing that enlarged false lumen. Another diagnostic we can use is transesophageal echocardiogram, also known as TEE. Now, the issue with this is that if the dissection is happening in the lower aorta in the abdominal area, it won't be seen. This also requires endotracheal innovation, which can be difficult in that unstable patient. Remember, we may have someone that's hemorrhaging inside, present with a poor shock index, and just makes it kind of dicey to be imaging a patient that's already possibly crashing on you. Another similar bedside option is actually a TTE, which is known as the transthoracic echocardiogram. Now, this also limits in imaging, but it is another option. Now, the gold standard in diagnosis is CT with contrast. Now, there's some contraindications when people have poor renal function and they don't want to use contrast, but I have read in a few articles that we don't really have to worry about the contrast affecting our renal patients with today's medicine. And lastly is an MRI. So I think uh, the MRI is probably your safest bet for somebody that's a little more stable. Remember, these take a really long time. There's a lot of contraindications, like if you've had any kind of metal placement, 
but this could be a great option for somebody that's asymptomatic that you already have suspicion of a dissection and is able to sit in the MRI machine. So we've picked up our 67-year-old. He's in the ER. We're suspecting the dissection just due to his past medical history. We have the imaging CTA went through, and he's having a type A or ascending aorta dissection. Now we need to know how to treat that. So it's pretty simple in pre-hospital EMS medicine because this is the one time where you get to drop that blood pressure and it's actually safe. So definitely treat the pain, give them fentanyl. Remember, if we lower that blood pressure or lower that pain response, we won't be dissecting as much. But like I said, we're not going to have the imaging. We're not really going to know it's a dissection. We're just going to think it is. But follow your own local protocols. More than likely, this will fall into maybe a hypertensive emergency or some kind of pain management where you're ordered to lower the blood pressure with possibly a beta blocker like labetalol and then just treat the pain. Now, on the flip side, if you're transporting somebody that's already got imaging, like in her facility, going for maybe uh, CVOR, that's when we need to know what type of dissection it is. Obviously, they'll have the imaging, and we treat it based on the location of a dissection. So we're looking at a Stanford type A dissection, which involves the ascending aorta and the arch. This brings a lot of complications, including like tamponade, aortic valve regurgitation, or hypoperfusion to the brain due to your arteries branching off and being occluded. Now this classification is super simple. It's going to require emergent surgery to fix that dissection on the ascending aorta, usually fixed with a synthetic replacement and graft. So what if we have a type B dissection? How do we, how do we manage that? Well, that's going to be managed through anti-impulse therapy. So we're going to control the heart rate and the blood pressure. We don't want to create any more dissection than we have to. Now, this also depends on if they're symptomatic or they have any signs of hypoperfusion. Remember, we have a lot of arteries down in the abdominal and thoracic aorta that are pretty important. So if we have any kind of dissection that's occluding an artery, that's when we move into surgery. Now, this surgery is very similar to placing a stent in the heart. They just go up through your femoral artery, and they'll place a stent with a catheter. Basically, what that's going to do is just reinforce that aortic wall, so you'll have a lesser chance of further dissection later on down the road. Included with that, you'll probably be on long-term anti-impulse medications, obviously a better diet, but most of the time a beta blocker and an anti-hypertensive as well. So let's do a quick recap of a dissection. We know it's a dissection, a separation of the intima and the medial layer of the vessel wall. Now remember, these patients are going to present like every other cardiac patient you have. Just be mindful of those keywords like a ripping, tearing, or radiating to the back. It's going to sound just like that big heart attack, but it's going to be just slightly different. Things to look out for are those differentials in your pulse and blood pressures and also any kind of focal neurological deficits. So we know there's also lots of ways we can diagnose this, but the gold standard is going to be CT. So we know the best treatment for these patients is based on what type of dissection they're having. We know type A is emergent, requiring that surgery. If we have a type B, we can use that with medications, usually esmolol, labetalol, nicardipine, clavodipine, and more than likely there's going to be long-term anti-impulse therapies just to reduce any further dissection. I hope this clears things up for you guys. I hope you learned something out of this episode. Like always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for the support. If you could just leave a rating and subscribe on iTunes, that'd be great. And we'll see you next time.